Good morning again and thanks again to Kat for that uh, wonderful song. I've never heard that one before but very appropriate especially as we consider our strength in hope from Isaiah 34 and 35 and that great statement, Jesus is our living hope. We've come a We've come a long way in in a few months uh, of looking in the book of Isaiah. We've looked at our uh, we, we've we've looked at a lot of these first thirty three chapters of uh, of judgment. There's been a lot of judgment. There's a little bit more to come in chapter thirty four. But I want to just as a as a summary and just to just to refresh our minds, come to a verse in chapter one that David Sharp actually shared with us. Uh, a few weeks ago around communion and it really for me is one of the key verses to to this book of Isaiah and it's actually three verses come now chapter 1 verse 18 come now let us reason together says the Lord though your sins are like scarlet they shall be as white as snow though they are red as crimson they shall be like wool If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. You sense that God with his people, he sees these people who are, who are uh, with their lips, they honour him. But their hearts are far from him. And he says to them, come now, let us reason together. Where will you place your hope? Where will you place your hope and trust? My people. Will it be in the, the arms and the, 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 the armies and the, the strength of those around you and the nations? Or will it be in the Lord your God. Where will you place your faith, your trust and your hope? And this is just a a constant theme throughout the book of Isaiah. As you know, the the book of Isaiah is primarily a a book of prophecy and so we we go into this book this year um, understanding that there are things prophesied uh, uh, for that time, uh, the time of Isaiah. Uh, there are also things prophesied for shortly after that time. Uh, there are things prophesied for a few hundred years later when we talk about the things of, of Christ. And there are prophecies in the book of Isaiah that have not yet been fulfilled. I just want to, and so this is a, a really rough sort of basic overview of some of these chapters 1 to 33 judgment from God and upon Israel Judah and surrounding nations 34 to 35 we, we come to that today future judgment and blessing then there's some historical narrative in 36 to 39 and chapters 40 to 66 a lot of those passages we're probably more familiar with the talks of God's greatness and the prophecies around the servant Messiah. 
And in 34, 35 today, we come across events that have not yet come to pass. We come across events that are, that are future for Israel, uh, for Isaiah 3,000 years ago almost, as he wrote these things. And they are still for us today. Raf shared this uh, uh, earlier in the year, and I just wanted to bring it up for a moment just to get a bit of context about where we're sort of reading this today and what we're going to be covering. Uh, you, you might It's quite a bit of detail there. It might be quite small for you, but just so you can see at the very top of the page, just off-centre to the right, you see that is the, the capturing of the church, the rapturing of the church, God's next uh, great event on the prophetic calendar. As you read in Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, the capturing of the church. And when the saints will meet Christ in the air, so starts this this seven-year period between the second and third, or just at the end of that second circle, you might see there the tribulation period, of which the second three and a half years will be a horrible, horrible time on earth. And verse 8, at the end of that time, verse 8 in chapter 34 says, The Lord has a day, has a year of vengeance and retribution. God's righteous response to sin and lawlessness and evil. He will bring his wrath and anger upon the nations and the armies who oppose Israel at that second coming of Christ. And chapter 35 is immediately that time period in history after the tribulation period that it is the millennial kingdom. A thousand year period of Christ with the church saints who will reign and rule. And we'll talk about that today as the 35 references at that time. You see, when the church is caught up in the rapture and and taken away, the, the salt and the light of the earth, it's going to plunge this world into a, a time of trouble and chaos. And in Revelation 11, it speaks of the, the chaos that is the tribulation, that 42 months, the second three and a half years of that tribulation period. Jesus speaks of this time in Matthew 24. And he says there is going to be a tribulation period such as never been from the beginning of time. And there will never be anything like it. And he says in Matthew twenty four fifteen. So when you are see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. If those days are not cut short, there'll be no one saved. There'll be no humans left. But there will be. There will be mortals. And some people will survive that period. And those days are numbered. Those days are numbered because it's Jesus who will come and end that time. In the second coming of Christ, Matthew 24, 30 Jesus said he will come in glory and power to reign and rule in Zion. Won't that be 
an amazing sight. Back to Isaiah 34 then, and as we look at verse verse 1, Come near you nations and listen. Pay attention, you people. Let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all that comes out of it. The Lord is angry with all nations. His wrath is upon all their armies. He will totally destroy them. He will give them over to the slaughter. It's it's descriptive and gory and it gets even more like that in the next few verses. Not the sort of thing you want to even see in a movie. But this is the reality. Something that that as, as New Testament believers we're saved from. This wrath and anger that God is pouring out. Isn't that a great hope for us to live with? He goes on in verse 4. All the stars of the heavens will be dissolved and the sky rolled up like a scroll. All the starry hosts will fall like withered leaves from the vine, like shriveled figs from the fig tree. When I was younger, uh, I used to live in Adelaide and there was a, there was a famous street in Adelaide. I think it might have been called Victoria Street, uh, funny enough, but it, it was, uh, it was a street in a very posh suburb, a well-off suburb, uh, called Unley. And we used to love to go down this street because it was full of these mansion houses. Uh, and, and these, uh, we used to, when we were in the area, we would say to mum and dad, oh, let's go down that street, let's go down that street. And as you drove down this street, Every house was just huge and tennis courts and pools and massive gates and, but outside on the street were these trees that were, must have been planted many years ago. Every house had one out the side and as you looked down they were, they would hang over the, the whole street. And when it came to that time of the year they would drop their leaves, they would be, the street would be covered in leaves. Covered in leaves. You could barely see the road and the footpath at that time. And it's just that imagery that I had as as we consider this catastrophic signs of what the heavens will look like. The heavens will rot away, the skies roll up like a scroll, the stars falling from heaven. Jesus in Matthew 24 again later in 29 to 30 he quotes scripture from from Joel and also from Isaiah 11 he says after the tribulation of those days the sun will be darkened the moon will not give its light and stars will fall from the heaven the heavenly bodies will be shaken this is this is crazy supernatural stuff that's going to happen at the sign of Jesus coming again. The power of God is, is, is frightening. The power of God is incredible. His control and, and authority is over all things. He is the creator of all things. He is sovereign of over all things. And the message to God's people and the message to you and me this morning is where, where would you put your faith? Where will you put your hope? He knows all there is to know about this lockdown. 
the politicians will spin it and hold off until right on Tuesday to give us the next instructions. He knows all there is to know. He knows all there is to know about your health, about your job, about your income, about your family. And his desire is that you would bring it to him in prayer, to lay it before him and say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you entirely with this situation, with this circumstance, the place I'm in right now, my hope is in the Lord. And and that's his call to his people. Come, reason with me, he says. Read, uh, if you read verse 5, it says, My sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. See, it descends in judgment on Edom, the people I've totally destroyed. It's, it's interesting that in this chapter, God's talking about his wrath upon these nations in the world who oppose Israel. But then it's, it's Edom he mentions specifically. Uh, we all probably know a lot of the background of Edom. Edom uh, was, a, was a, a nation of people who, who derived from Esau. And Esau and Jacob, the father of Israel. And constantly there was the, the hatred and the, the opposition between Edom and Israel. And Edom has a long history of fighting with Israel. And here we, we come across Edom as a, as a type, not as specifically just that nation or people or land, but a type. A, 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 a likeness, if you if you would like, of a nation and a people who oppose Israel. Edom is a representation of all those nations and people who oppose Israel in this part of the tribulation. And in verse 6 it says, The sword of the Lord is bathed in blood, covered with fat, the blood of lambs and goats. Fat from the kidneys of rams for the Lord has a sacrifice in Bosra and a great slaughter in Edom. Horrible, gory judgment that's coming on those who oppose Israel. For the Lord has a day in verse 8. Vengeance, a year of retribution for the uphold Zion's cause. Now the church of God is raptured, taken out of the world before this period. The Antichrist breaks the, the peace promise with Israel and raises up armies to destroy Israel. And that's the time when Jesus will come in power and authority. And at this time, when things seem hopeless, Jesus returns and has his time and vengeance for Israel, for Zion's cause. If you turn to Zechariah chapter 14, Zechariah chapter 14 verse 1 to 3 says, The day of the Lord is coming 
When your plunder will be divided among you, I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. What a horrible time period that part of the tribulation will be. Horrible time. But the Lord will come in glory and power. He will fight against these powers. He will fight against these nations and he does it for Zion's cause, for Israel. And Jesus will not lose. This is not going to be like an arm wrestle between me and Damo. Damo's here if you... You know, that might be a bit close. I'd probably get you in the end. But this isn't a close battle. The one through whom all things exist, the the creator of the universe, will come in power and authority. And he will put down the armies of the world. The rest of chapter 34 here focuses on God's judgment as the, the, of Edom as the representation, illustration of the, the nations. And it gets into a bit of poetic detail about the, the land and how it's, it will become uninhabitable. The streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch and her dust into burning sulphur. Her land will become a burning pitch. It will not be quenched night and day. Its smoke shall go up forever. And it goes on to say that people, basically people aren't going to be able to live and live there. It will be a wasteland. Wild animals and thorns. And finishes in verse 16 and 17. I'm flicking around a little bit today, so bear with me. Look in the scroll of the Lord and read, none of these will be missing, not one will lack her mate, for it is his mouth that has given the order and his spirit will gather them together. He allots their portions, his hand distributes them by measure, they will possess it forever and dwell there from generation to generation. Here is the Lord in glory and might defeating the armies of the world and he comes for the cause of Zion and his judgment on the land, his handprint is upon it. His spirit is moving in his creation to make it happen. We belong to a, we belong and serve a God who is a God of justice. There will be justice for the day of, 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 there will be a day of reckoning for all mankind and this wrath and this separation from God is, is what we have been saved from. Our hope is in the, the risen Lord and our certainty of being with him forever. And we can face uncertain times. We can face the circumstances of life that are difficult and challenging with the knowledge of what is to come. To live is for Christ. To die is to gain a new body, uncorruptible. A heavenly body from God. And all of this by faith, through grace. 
and the death and resurrection of our Saviour Jesus Christ. As we move into chapter 35, we, we, can, we see the scene completely changes. Uh, if you've ever been to a, a musical or a theatre show, which we're not really getting to at the moment. But this would be the part where the, the curtain comes down and, the, uh, and you get a told you've got a 20 minute interval. You can go pay $10 for some Maltesers and $8 for a bit of tap water put into a plastic bottle. I've been ripped off many times. <clears throat> and where we've been dealing with, with judgment and, and anger and wrath, we come in chapter 35 to a time of peace and, and prosperity. Lord has destroyed the enemies of Israel and overthrown the, the Antichrist and the nations of the world and their armies. And so starts this thousand year millennial kingdom rule in Jerusalem by our Lord. Just when the Israel looking to be destroyed and defeated, Jesus comes and fights for them, defeats the armies. And Israel has to come to terms with their Messiah. The one that they rejected first and crucified. We're told they would not reject again. The one who came the first time who was rejected will not be rejected again. Back in Zechariah chapter 12, we see how Israel will deal with this. In chapter 12 verse 9, on that day I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. We, we've been there. And I will pour out on the house of David and the, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. The Lord speaking to the prophet Zechariah here, uh, this is about 520 years before Christ. And he's speaking to Zechariah, prophesying in this instance, even about the kind of death that Christ would suffer. Isn't that fascinating? You see, Rome that used the persecution of, that, that used the, the, crucif the crucifix of, of nailing people to a cross, Rome, they weren't in power at this time. The Jews would stone people to death. So it would probably make sense if they, if he said the one they look on who they stone to death. But he doesn't. He's, he's prophesying about the death that Jesus would suffer in over 500 years of, of, a, of, a, of a way of dying that people didn't even use in that time. Of a power of, of an empire that wasn't even in power at this time. What's their response going to be? They're going to be blown away and mourn for him as someone would mourn the death of their child. But this will also be a time of, of regathering of the nation of Israel, that the remnant of Israel there's always been a remnant as you go back through the Old Testament and you go through the history of this nation, God's people. There's always been a remnant 
from Moses in Egypt and captivities in the different nations like Babylon in modern times. You just have to look in the last hundred years of World War II and Hitler in Germany and the constant, constant attempts to wipe out this race, this Jewish nation. There's always been a remnant. In Zechariah 13, 9 and 10 it says, in 8, sorry, 8 and 9, in the whole land, declares the Lord, two thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one third will be left in it. And this third I will bring into the fire, refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people. And they will say the Lord is our God. They will at that time turn to the Lord and they will mourn. But they will receive their Messiah and come under his reign and rule. And so what begins, what we read about in Revelation 20, 1 to 3, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain, he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw into the abyss, locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. This passage in Revelation is speaking to the, the period where we're, we're talking of Isaiah now in chapter 35 prophesying about this reign and rule of Jesus in Zion. And let's look at how Isaiah describes what's going on in the land, what's happening in this reign of Christ. Chapter 35, verse 1 and 2. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. You see, it says when the Lord takes throne in Jerusalem, what areas are going to be glad? What is going to blossom and rejoice and shout for joy? The desert. We we were just reading about this uninhabitable land that is full of thorns and wild animals. And it will be a stark contrast as Satan locked away for a thousand years, Jesus ruling and reigning, things look completely different. Peace and prosperity. The known fertile plains and lands of Lebanon, Carmel and I say Sharon, but uh, you know, that's because we're in Australia. I don't know if that's Sharon or uh, <coughs> Shazza. I don't know about Sharon. All I know is as I looked it up, it's a a fertile plain on a, on the coast. And these are the types of pictures that are given to the, that are going to be true of the desert. If we bring that maybe to a bit of context in Australia, what that might look like, 
If you've ever been up north, uh, which I have a number of times, to the, the Daintree National Park, it's a forest, uh, if you go north of Cairns, past Port Douglas, and then just head a little bit west. Amazing vegetation and shrubs and huge trees and waters trickling through. They've got some amazing walkways you can take over them. Currently in the middle of Australia, some of our dear friends, Lee and Mari and uh, Sam and Desi, uh, have packed up and got out of lockdown. They're, they're driving up through the middle of Australia where it's very, very dry and barren. There's very little water. It's red sort of dust and dirt, in the, especially in that Northern Territory, Southern Northern Territory area up the Sturt Highway. And I imagine if, uh, if, if these four guys tomorrow woke up and poked their head out of the caravan or the setup that they have and saw the picturesque Daintree Forest just outside of Alice Springs on the Sturt Highway, they'd be blown away. And this is the sort of imagery that we're given. And the purpose of this, it says in the end of verse 2, is that they will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. And his, his creation, including you and me, his creation, we exist to bring glory to God. And when we consider that, when that is our mindset, as we wake up Monday, as we deal with the difficulties of Wednesday and the temptations on Thursday, if our mindset is that I exist to bring glory to God, the people would see my life and there would be glory given to God. If that is my mindset, Think of the changes. I, mean, I think of myself. I think, wow, there's going to be, if I can live like that day to day, the changes that will happen in my life, when that is my constant thought about my purpose as his creation to bring glory to him. There's a... Parenthesis here in verse 3 and 4, what I would call a, a word of encouragement as Isaiah is prophesying, let these words comfort and, and encourage and strengthen you. God is good. God is powerful. He will keep his promises. You know, we come across in Hebrews 12, these very same similar words. Whatever you are facing in life, whatever you're dealing with, face it in the reality that Jesus is Lord. That circumstances are temporary. That what you're dealing with is only for a short while. But our new bodies are eternal. Being in his presence is for eternity. I know what it feels like to be down. I know what it feels like to be in circumstances that don't seem to have much of an end. 
I know what it feels like to make bad decisions. Maybe based on emotion, based on uh, uh, relying on my own strength and selfish desires. And I'm not brushing off those feelings and experiences by just saying, oh, trust God, everything will be great. But the ultimate encouragement for the believer comes when we grasp the fact that God is with me, that God is faithful, and that what I'm dealing with now is for a short time. What I'm dealing with now is happening with his knowledge and understanding. And there is a purpose in everything God allows to happen in our lives. And he's coming again. Isn't that the greatest? He's coming again. Verse 6 onwards, we we get a picture of this prosperous and, and peaceful reign of Christ. The eyes open, the lame leaping, the mute shouting for joy. And from verse 8, a highway will be there. It will be called the, the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. The the reference here is to the restored nation of Israel. As we mentioned in in, in Zechariah 13, that the reference to to, that Paul talks about in Romans 11, those who are, and, and also those who will be redeemed as righteous in God's eyes in this reign of Christ, experiencing his grace and salvation. It, it, this, this, this highway is no place for the ferocious animals. This highway is no place for the, for the fools who are wicked. The redeemed, the ransomed of the Lord, they will enter Zion where Christ is reigning. They will enter that place with everlasting joy on their heads. No more sorrow and sighing for those people. If you're old like me, you would know those words have been turned into a song which I won't embarrass myself and my family by singing again <clears throat> over live stream. Our hope, as we close, is in our faithful, promise-keeping, awesome God. Just as we close, I want to read a few words from Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10 verses 23 to 25 and we'll finish with this. Hebrews 10:23 says let let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. 
for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Father God, we come to you in the knowledge that you are a faithful, loving God who has sent his one and only son to die for our sins in our place. And this morning, what a privilege it is to belong to you, to have received salvation, to receive your spirit, to live empowered and changed lives. Help us, Lord, to be your people, holy, holding on to this hope we have of spending eternity with you, with new, uncorruptible bodies in your presence. What a day that will be. What an eternity that will be. Let it spur us on now to, to live for you each day and each moment. We commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.